Grab your Bibles. We'll be opening them up here shortly. just want to remind you of a few things. Uh, there are some of you that are going to be getting baptized next week. I just want to remind you after church is over this morning. Why don't you just meet me over here off to the side. I forewarned some of you last week and throughout the week that we're going to have this. So again, I'll see you. Um, and I want to remind the building committee that we're meeting this week. Um, again, we set a date to meet. And it's been a while, so I just want to refresh some of your memories that we are meeting this Wednesday night. And so I look forward to meeting with the building committee and as we continue to progress and move forward uh, with where we're going with the church. All right. That being said, grab your Bibles. And uh, you don't have to open up. I've got plenty of scriptures I'm going to mention ahead of time. But Colossians chapter 3 is where we're going to end up. So Colossians chapter 3, New Testament. Get past Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans. You get all these books of First and Second Corinthians that Paul started writing. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. Right there in a bunch of little books, okay? Colossians. Hope you'll find it. Um, as you are turning there, and we are continuing the milk to meat and sort of wrapping that up today, um, as you heard of the kids, there's different ways we can grow, obviously, physically. Many of us, I'm going to say all of us basically in this room, we're past the, the bottled milk, we're past the Happy Meals. Some of you probably still enjoy Happy Meals, maybe not. For you, a Happy Meal is a um, large steak with mashed potatoes, a side salad, some dinner rolls, and a piece of pie. That's your Happy Meal. Amen? You can say amen every now and then. That's all right, even if it didn't sound spiritual. Okay. So anyway, you've graduated, you, you know how to grow, but I want to go back to that G-R-O-W, and even though that was for the kids, that was just a little helpful reminder for all of us adults how to continue to grow, to get on our knees and pray, to read God's Word, to look at others and to love them, to share with them, to give. And then that last W is worship, which is what we're doing this morning. We're here to sing songs to God, to worship Him, to give Him of our tithes, our money, our time, our talent. That is worship. That's how we grow. Now, easy, easy enough said, done, right? Well, we're going to get a little bit deeper now with this because this is a process. And I told you there's a process, obviously, from the womb of a woman to the life in the world, there is a birthing process. And there's a process said from infancy to childhood and from childhood to adolescence, adolescence to adulthood. There's always growth going on. And some of us, as we get to adult stage, we say we're done, but yet we realize we're actually not done growing yet. There's still more growth. And in the same way, spiritually, there is a growth process as well. And many of us, hopefully all of us in this room, can say, I've gone from darkness to light, from old to new, from not knowing God to knowing God. I've made that birth spiritually. I've been born again, as we've used that term before. And here's the way. Here's the birth canal. God made a way. The only way is through Jesus Christ, God's only Son. Have new life in this life. So spiritually, we call it being born again. Peter says this, and we refer to this verse often. 1 Peter chapter 2, 1. He says, after that birth takes place spiritually, he says, therefore, rid yourselves of all malice and deceit and hypocrisy and envy and slander of every kind, like newborn babies crave pure spiritual milk, so that by it you may grow up in your salvation, now that you've tasted and see that the Lord is good. So we're no longer baby Christians. Now some of you, unless you just gave your life to the Lord and just placed your faith in Him recently, well then maybe you're a baby Christian, but I believe most of us in this room, we're out of that infancy stage. 
So it's time for us to continue this growth process. And God's Holy Spirit's been given to us. It's a promise by Jesus Christ, God's Son, that He would give us His Spirit. God's Spirit helps produce fruit in our lives, helps us grow. As we grow church, as we mature, it's not an easy process. It's not a light journey. It's a tough journey. And I hate to say it, none of us have arrived. Whether you've been a Christian for four months, four years, 40 years, you're still growing. You're still growing, and that's a good thing. You're just in a different stage of your spiritual maturity. So in the book of Colossians, where you're open at right now, Paul actually wrote this letter while he's sitting in prison. He heard about the church in Colossus that was struggling spiritually growing up. They were dealing with all kinds of issues. And Epaphras comes along and visits him in prison and says, let me tell you about Colossus, what's going on. And Paul, out of burden for this church that he's never met before, says, I want to write a letter to you and tell you how to grow up in Christ. So he writes this letter and he prays for these people. He prays that their maturity is evident. He prays that they know God better and better so that they'll live as evidence of their new life is going to be seen. And people say, wow, they are fruitful. They're growing. There's evidence that they're growing up. You know, here's, here's the thing, though. Paul wants to make sure it's clear that it's not them that are taking responsibility for the growth. Because a lot of times we do that, right? Oh, man, you see what I'm learning. And, and this, I want to tell you what I, what's going on and how I'm growing. And it's all about me. It's like, wait a minute. Let's back it up here. First of all, we know that this whole birth process was Jesus Christ, right? You didn't have anything to do with it. It just, let me help you with this one. When we had our first child born, when Colin was first born, I can't tell you how many people said, congratulations, Rex, way to go. Gentlemen, have you ever had that? If, you've, if you're in here and you have a child, okay, men, anybody ever congratulate you for having a baby? It happens, doesn't it? And what do we do as men? Oh, thanks, thanks, yeah, it's nothing. About that time, if our wife was in striking distance, we would have been struck dead, right? Because we didn't have anything to do with it. She did all the work. She did all the pushing, all the hard labor. We won't get into details, okay? But it was all the woman. And us men, what did we do? We just sat there and said, whew, wow, that was, that was incredible. Let me hold that baby. That's all we did. That's all we did. But yet people congratulate us, right? And sometimes that's the way it happens spiritually. Like, oh, way to go. Way to give your life to you. It's like, whoa. That, that is cool, but you know what the cool thing is? It wasn't any of us. It was all Jesus Christ. Paul explains that spiritual birth, in those verses, that we're the rescued ones. It was Christ who did all the work. He did the rescuing, the transferring, the purchasing, the forgiving. Not us, but Jesus Christ. Colossians 1, 21-22 says this. This includes you who were once far away from God. You were his enemies separated from him by your evil thoughts and actions. Yet now he's reconciled you to himself, to God, through the death of Christ in a physical body. As a result, he has brought you into his own presence and you are holy and blameless as you stand before him without a single fault. What was my role in this? Nothing except placing my faith in him. It was the role of Jesus Christ on the cross and the crucifixion and the resurrection that God said, now you're mine. Now you're born into my family. Now you're my child. Verse 23 says, But you must continue to believe this truth. Let me hear you say truth. I might want to underline that sometime. Stand firmly in it. Don't drift. 
as the verse goes on to say, away from your assurance you received when you heard the good news. Paul pleads, you've got to continue to believe what is true. And if you don't know what is true, you pick this up. It's one of those things of growth, right? Read. That's where you find truth. And when you open up the truth and you start reading, you stand firm on it and say, this is true, I believe it, I'm standing firm. But the world says, but that's okay, don't worry about it, that's written a long time ago. Matter of fact, this morning there's some things I'm going to share with you. I'm probably going to step on some of your toes. I'm going to step on my own toes this morning. But if I don't preach truth, then I'm not doing what God's called me to do, and we're not doing what we should be doing as Christians in listening to truth. So therefore, we will be biblical this morning, as we always, I pray, are. But we stand firm on truth, and we don't drift. That's so tough. You know, we need to wake up every day saying, wow, I was rescued. And then live that way the rest of the day saying, I don't live this life on my own. I live this life for Christ because I've been rescued. It might change how we live in a thankful life. And then we stand firm on that truth. Nothing pushes us away. I loved King of the Hill. See, in elementary school, you probably can't play that anymore because there's probably going to be a lawsuit somewhere, right? But back in the day, we played King of the Hill all the time, especially in the snow. And when you're, you know, in first grade at 110 pounds and then you're in sixth grade and you're 160-ish more pounds, you are King of the Hill. I loved it because I was king of the hill. Nobody could push me off. But here's the thing. What I found out, though, sometimes you lose a little bit of footing and you start losing ground and you start slipping away and you sort of drift off that place where you were. You got to regain that ground. We do that spiritually sometimes. God says, stand firm. Stand firm on top of that hill with that truth. And as the world starts pushing you around, regain that location and stand firm on truth. Colossians 2.6, Paul says, And now, just as you accepted Christ Jesus as your Lord, you must continue to follow him. Let me hear you say, follow him. Now, this could be very dangerous at this point in time, and so I'm going to attempt this, but please stay with me, okay? I'm, I'm, I'm going to ask you to close your eyes and listen, okay? Now, don't drift, okay? You see, like, pinch, okay? You see the person not elbow, okay? Um, but this is the only way I could think of doing this and really meaning something here, okay? I was reading a book from, um, her name is Sarah Young. She wrote Jesus Calling, I believe. I'm reading a book called Jesus Today. And I read this a few days ago, and I said, this is perfect. The church needs to hear this. I needed to hear it, okay? So this is what, it, she, the way she writes is as if Jesus is speaking to you. So I want you to close your eyes. I'm going to read it. I want you to pretend that Jesus is speaking these words to you today wherever you're at, okay? So go ahead and close your eyes and just listen. I always lead you forward. When you're going through hard times, you tend to look back longingly at seasons when your life seemed easier and less complicated. You daydream about those simpler times, looking at them through rose-colored lenses. Even your prayers reflect this yearning to go back to earlier and easier circumstances. But this is not my way for you. Because of the nature of time, there's only one direction to travel, and that is forward. Your life on earth is a journey, beginning at birth and ending at the gates of heaven. I am your guide, and your responsibility is to follow me where I lead. Sometimes I take you places you'd rather not go. 
And this is my prerogative as your Savior God. I am also your shepherd. I always lead you along the best possible path, no matter how painful or confusing it may be. And when your path takes you through a dark valley and you're struggling, look to me for help. Follow me obediently, trusting me in the midst of darkness and confusion. I am tenderly present with you each step of your journey. As you stay close to me, I'll show you the way forward. Little by little, I turn your darkness into light. You can open your eyes. My question to you is, are you following Jesus? She wrote it so well, and the amazing thing is that's what Jesus says to us. Colossians 3, now in your Bibles, you would turn there and look at chapter 6. Colossians 3, 6. Paul says, and now, just as you accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord, you must continue to follow him. Part of this growth process is following him. Let your roots, verse 7 says, let your roots grow down into him. Let your lives be built on him. Then your faith will grow strong. In the truth you were taught, and you'll overflow with thankfulness. Growing up is tough. Right? Last week we talked about adolescence. I referred to those tough spiritual years in our life. It's like a spiritual adolescence. It's an indescribable time between childhood and adulthood that none of us really want to return to. And those that are in adolescence are like sort of looking forward to get out of that stage. It's when we're growing up in Christ and we make immature decisions or we're confused with our attitudes and things going on. And uh, we make decisions that we wonder, is that right? And so we said, praise God that we don't go through spiritual adolescence alone. Amen? Colossians 3.1, then we refer to that. I want to go back to that again. It says this, Since then you've been raised to new life with Christ. Set your sights on the realities of heaven, where Christ sits in a place of honor at God's right hand. Think about the things of heaven, not the things of the earth. So here it is. After you're born again and we're growing, we've placed our faith in Jesus Christ. We've asked for the forgiveness of sins. We set our sights. We place our minds on things above. Last week I used the phrase, gaze at Jesus, glance at problems. Okay? We need to actively seek to gaze, to have an extended view of Jesus and have a short glance at our problems. Because the problem is we switch it the other way around. We have these long extended views and these gazes at problems and these short glances at Jesus. That needs to be flip-flopped. That needs to be flip-flopped. And when we also, here's the other thing is, not only do we gaze at the problems, we also gaze at other people that are growing. Sometimes we look around the church and we say, man, they're growing spiritually. Wish I could pray like them. I wish I could worship like them. I wish I could, you know, be involved in Bible study. We start looking at other people and we get a little jealous. And that could derail us real quick as well. I don't know if any of you ever did this, but do you ever take your kids, put them, as a, Let's say, put them in the closet. If you open up the, maybe the closet door, you get a wall where you have those markings where you mark how tall they are. Ours was in the closet, okay? So opened up the door and we just sort of marked them on the wall and then we, yeah, anyway. Um, we pulled the kids back out, then we shut the door. So anyway, so we measured our kids. And sometimes when you looked at them, you know, we marked, well, look at when you were four or when you were five, this is how tall you were. Well, look at you now at that same age and you're, you know, there's, there's a comparison chart going on here with who's growing, who grew quicker and all that. And I was sort of like, man, you know, 
as siblings, my family growing up with six of us, it was a big deal as to who the taller person was. And even kids today, when they go to school, they go back after summer break, like, man, I'm the shorter one now, or hey, I'm the tall. It's always about that growth, right? When we do that spiritually, that could be an issue. Matter of fact, in John chapter 21, there's a pretty incredible verse here. I want to read this to you. John 21, 18, Jesus has a conversation with Peter. Now, this is after Jesus has been, actually, let's back up. Peter denies Jesus three times. Remember that? Then the rooster crows. Jesus goes on to trial, crucifixion. He's put on the cross. He's buried. He resurrects from the dead. Jesus goes out, sees his disciples again, appears to many other witnesses, other people, witnesses uh, his, that he is alive, okay? And then he has this encounter with Peter after he's resurrected. And Jesus asks Peter now, remember, Peter denied Jesus three times. Peter now says, or Jesus says to Peter, do you love me? Three times. This is where the conversation picks up. Verse 18. Jesus says, I tell you the truth. When you were young, you were able to do as you liked, Peter. You dressed yourself and went wherever you wanted to go. But when you're old, you'll stretch out your hands and others will dress you and take you where you don't want to go. Now listen very carefully. Verse 19 says this. Jesus said this to let him know what kind of death he would have to glorify him. Peter was going to be crucified in a similar way, right? Then Jesus, what Jesus told him, then Jesus said this, follow me. Follow me. Peter turned around and saw the disciple behind Jesus, uh, the one loved, the one whom he leaned over during the supper and asked, Lord, who will betray you? And Peter said, Jesus, what about him? What about John? And Jesus replied, now listen, this is what I want you to hear. If I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? You follow me. See, John, or Peter, is so worried about John's life. Well, what's this other Christian? You know, what's this other follower of Jesus? What's, what's, what's his commitment like, Jesus? What, how is he committing his life to you? Is he all in? And what does Jesus say to Peter? That's not your concern. As for you, speaking to you, Peter, you follow me. A lot of times we get so caught up, I wonder how everybody else is doing spiritually. It's like Jesus says, knock it off. Don't worry about them. Let's focus on you right now. Are you following me? If you're following me, then let's go bring the others with us and let's all follow Jesus together. But right now, let's talk about you. Where are you at? Don't worry about the growth patterns of others. You follow me. Don't focus on the problems. Don't focus on others. Get your eyes on Jesus. Simple, right? So simple it seems, right? The problem is we live in a, a dark, fallen world, so it's natural to place our focus somewhere else. So we have to call upon the supernatural, God's Holy Spirit, to help us grow, to help us keep our eyes on Him, to be empowered to do so. So this is what we're going to do. We're going to ask God's Holy Spirit to help us live for Him. John 14, verses 16 to 17 says this, I will ask the Father. This is Jesus speaking. I will ask the Father. He'll give you another advocate, one you've never seen before, and one who would never leave you. He is the Holy Spirit who leads into all truth. The world can't receive him because the world isn't looking for him and doesn't recognize him. But you know him because he lives with you and will later be in you. Jesus says God's Spirit is going to be in you. If you've asked for forgiveness of your sins, if you've asked Jesus Christ to be into your life, guess what? God's Holy Spirit is in you. You. 
biblical truth, right? So with the Holy Spirit living in us, Paul says this in Colossians 3.10. Take a look at it. Put on, let me hear you say put on. Let me hear you say a little bit louder with more boldness. Here we go, put on. Put on your new nature and be renewed as you learn to know your creator and become like him. So what's the word again? What's the phrase? One, two, three. Put on. Okay, that's what we're going to do. We're going to put it on this morning, okay? With about uh, 20 minutes here, in the next 20 minutes, we're going to learn what it means to put on new clothes. Let's stop wearing children's clothes, okay? And kids, if you're in here, let's stop wearing baby clothes, okay? Let's all think the next size up, okay? And I'm not talking next size up, but the next size. Oh, geez, never mind. Get myself in trouble up there, everybody here. Look at verse 12. Since God chose you and I to be holy people, dearly loved, we must clothe ourselves with tender-hearted mercy. Here's the new clothes we're putting on. Tender-hearted mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience. Look at verse 13. Make allowance for each other's faults and forgive anyone who offends you. Remember, the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. Well, verse 14, above all, clothe yourselves, put it on, with love, which binds us all together in perfect harmony. And let the peace that comes from Christ rule in your hearts. For as members of one body, you are called to live in peace. Always be thankful. And let the message about Christ and all its richness fill your lives. Teach counsel each other with all the wisdom he gives. Sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs to God with thankful hearts. Verse 17, and whatever you do or say, do it as a representative of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him to God the Father. So this growing up, this maturing in Christ can be illustrated by simply putting on the right clothes in your closet. Okay? See, when it comes to getting dressed, I need help. And I shared this with you last week. I'm out of style. I really don't care. Okay? But somebody says, yeah, how old is that shirt? I don't know. It fit me in college. I love it. Okay? It's a great thing. Like, get rid of it because you're out of style. Well, I don't care. But here's the thing. I need assistance. Even this morning, Jenny, which shirt? Help me out. That one? Good, because I would have never chose that one. So I'm going to roll with that one, okay? Um, I need that help. And sometimes I'll wear things that I think I like it because it feels comfortable. Man, sweatpants, shorts. Oh, yeah, tank top. Probably can't get away with preaching in a tank top and shorts or swim trunks, but... It would be comfortable, but probably not appropriate, right? Again, I've got to figure out the right thing to wear. I've got to be appropriate. Now. And the same thing spiritually. There are things I need help understanding, what I need to put on. There are things that are appropriate. I need to know what to put on. Okay? So Paul says, as a believer in Christ Jesus, here is what you need to put on. Let me help you get spiritually dressed this morning. Okay? So let me hear you say, put on. Now let me hear you say, pure tongue. Ooh, here comes the first one. I didn't want to go to the closet this morning and put on a pure tongue because that's a tough one. Sometimes it just doesn't fit. So I'm not going to wear it because it's tight on me and it constricts me and I don't want to wear it. And God's Spirit says, you need to learn to wear the pure tongue. It's, it's, it's going to fit you pretty well. Well, that's an article of clothing. It's tough. If you look actually back in Colossians 3, verses 7 to 9, you're going to see that that's an inappropriate piece of clothing, the abuse of tongues. See, our, our words matter. By them, God spoke the world into existence. Proverbs 18, 21 says this, death and life are in the power of the tongue. Our words should be few, and when we use them, they need to be 
edifying. Ephesians 4.29 tells us that. They should be full of grace. Colossians 4.6 tells that. Chosen wisely, knowing that we're going to give account for every word we speak. Matthew 12.36. That's scary to me as a pastor, as a speaker. I'm out there rattling my lips all the time and my tongue, and, and then I get done thinking, have I said anything inappropriate? Have I done, said anything that could dishonor God's name? I get done preaching something, and somebody comes up and says, oh, I love what you meant when you said that. It's like, that's not what I meant. That came out of my mouth. That's not what I meant. I have to give account for everything that I say, and so do you. So do you. There's dozens of verses warning us that our speech should be wholesome. Unfortunately, wholesome is not how we characterize much of our speech today. Take a casual stroll down the hallway of a public school, on a playground, sidelines of a game. You might think you're uh, amongst a bunch of salty sailors when you hear certain things. Curse level's high. Matter of fact, before we watch a movie, it, it's sort of a rule in our house. We go to this website. It's called pluggedin.com, and it tells us about the movie. And my boys now, they, they're going to go watch a movie. I say, check it before you go watch it. And I, there's this one movie, it was, it was a war movie. I thought, I love this because it's supposed to be based on a true story. I was like, man, I, I really want to see this movie. I better go check it out. Went into pluggedin.com, and they had like over 100 F words in it. Okay, now I know as a Christian, I don't need to be hearing that. Okay? It is a harsh word with a horrible meaning behind it that nobody understands. And they just let it fly. If they only knew what it meant, they would never say it. And there ain't no way as a believer in Christ I can sit here and allow garbage to enter this temple. Because you see, Holy Spirit lives in you, right? If God's Spirit lives in you, you are God's temple. That's Scripture. So as God's holy temple, what are we allowing in? What are we pushing out? Ephesians 5, 3-4 says this, But among you but there must not even be a hint of sexual immorality or any kind of impurity or greed because these are improper for God's holy people. Did you hear that? It's improper for God's holy people. When's the last time somebody said, hey, what you're doing is improper? Like, don't tell me how to live. I'm independent. You're not independent because you have Christ living in you. You're dependent on him. I'm dependent on him. Nor should there be any obscenity, foolish talk, or coarse joking, which are out of place, but rather thanksgiving. Paul wrote that to the church in Ephesus. And then in Exodus 27, it says this, You shall not misuse the name of our Lord God, for your Lord will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses his name. Now, let me ask you this. Is that pretty clear? Is that pretty absolute? Yes and yes. Unfortunately, we don't preach that from the pulpit because we know we all struggle with our words. We struggle with what we listen to. We struggle with what we say. And so nobody wants to say it because that's a hot topic. You've got to say it, right? And I've been reading more in American history. Recently discovered that George Washington held this lifelong opposition to profanity. Every year during the American Revolution War, as new recruits came into the army, he wrote this and gave it to all those who served in the army. This is what he said. The general most earnestly requires and expects a due observance of those articles of war established for the government of the army, which forbid profane cursing, swearing, and drunkenness, and in the like manner requires and expects of all officers and soldiers not engaged on actual duty a punctual attendance on divine service to implore the blessings of heaven upon the means used for our safety and defense. 1775, writings of George Washington. Now these orders came out every year 
Every year it said similar things. Numerous soldiers were court-martialed and dismissed from the Continental Army, not because of rape, not because of theft, but because of profanity. Boy, have we changed in 200 years? Wow. Noah Webster, many of you kids picking up the Noah's, uh, the Webster Dictionary, okay? Noah Webster said this, in obedience to the third commandment of the Decalogue, you should avoid profane swearing, which comprehends all irreverent words, and whatever tends to cast contempt upon the supreme being. He went on to say this, not only is the use of obscenity, profanity, crude, and vulgar language a direct violation of God's specific commands, but to use such words also indicates a, indicates a narrowness and lack of self-discipline on the part of the user. Life and death are in the power of the tongue, as are blessings and cursing. Why would anyone want to deliberately release what only invites something bad? There are more than 250,000 words in the English language, and only a handful of them are profane. Well, you should know, because he wrote the dictionary, right? James 3.10 says, Out of the same mouth comes blessing and cursing. My brothers, this should not be. God's word makes it very clear. And he says, here's one article of clothing we all struggle with in growing up. But here's an article of clothing we need to put on that's a pure tongue. Pure tongue. Let me hear you say pure tongue. Look back in Colossians chapter 3, and we said there's so many articles of clothing. Which ones do you choose? Tenderhearted, mercy, kindness, humility, gentle. It goes on. So let's choose one that starts with the P because well, what's the phrase we're saying? Put on. Let me hear you say put on. What's the first thing we're putting on is a pure tongue. So we've got to stay with the P's because that's what all pastors do. They've got to come up with the thing to help people remember. And I don't do that, but I am today, okay? So let's find something that starts with the P, and that would be long-bearing or long-suffering translation in many of your scriptures, patience. Let me hear you say patience. Some of us struggle with this. Well, all of us do, right? This word means it's like a candle with a very long wick that's been prepared to burn a long time, ready to forbear, patiently wait until somebody finally comes around, makes progress, something changes, or here's what we're trying to communicate to them. Now, if you're going to get properly dressed for the day, here's the deal. You have to make the choice for the clothes in the closet, right? You choose the clothes you get to wear. You don't walk into your closet, and your shirts don't scream out, wear me, pick me, right? Your pants don't scream, not me, me. You don't. You choose. Some of you, I think, you might actually think your clothes talk to you. They don't, okay? Just helping you out here, okay? If you're thinking that, see me later. We'll set up a counseling appointment this week, okay? Once that selection is made, here's what happens. Here's, that's the first part. You walk in the closet, and you pick out what you're going to wear. You open up the dresser door. You pick out what you're going to wear. You set it out, right? Guess what the next part is that you actually have to do? You have to put it on. So you've made the choice now to grab that article of clothing, but you still have to reach in there, pull them off the hanger, and slip them onto your body. Your clothes won't jump out of the closet and onto your body without your help. If you're going to wear them, you have to put them on. So here's the deal. This morning, I'm giving you a couple articles of clothing. Pure tongue, patience, but guess what? That's great. Put them in your closet, but it does no good unless you wear them. Does that make sense? Paul says if you're going to be forbearing, if you're going to be patient, long-burning, compassionate towards other people, 
you get the choice to act in that fashion. Walking in patience is just as much of a choice as it is for you to choose which piece of clothing you put on today. If you don't choose to put on patience and walk in it, you won't be patient and you won't walk in it. First First Thessalonians 5.14 says this, Now we exhort you, brothers, warn them that are unruly, comfort the feeble-minded, support the weak, be patient towards all men. Even the people Walmart or the food chain or the people that come out and drive in front of me. I got to be patient with them. Let's see. Be patient towards all. You know the funny thing about that Greek word all? You know what it means? All. Okay, good. That's excellent. Nice job. We have such a smart church family. I love it. Okay. So walking in patience is part of our Christian responsibility. That's what we do when we grow up. We have an obligation before God, okay, not to be short-tempered or quickly angered with people who struggle or fail. Instead, we're supposed to be patient with them and help them. Parents, guess what? Patient with our children. Teachers, guess what? Patient with your students. Spouses, guess what? Patient with your spouses. Friends are patient towards their friends. Pastors, patient towards the congregation. You pick, we need to be patient towards one another. And if we don't allow ourselves to be patient, we'll end up frustrated all the time, including yourself. So let God's Holy Spirit supernaturally work through you as you put on this clothing. You choose to put on patience. We only can do that with God's help. Next P. There's three P's. So what do we have so far? We've put on, what's the first one? Pure tongue. Let me hear you say pure tongue. What's the second P we put on was? Patience. Now we got the third P, which is peace. Let me hear you say peace. Peace. I don't know, I'm sure we've all had one of those days. Whirling confusion, crazy stuff going on, long to-do list, bad day at work. So much confusion whirling around our head, we feel like stopping, screaming out, you know, we just want to yell. Everything's, right? Lord, give me peace, right? From time to time, everyone has that kind of day. And when you do, the temptation is probably either to react to somebody, get depressed, go to bed, forget about Let's do this. Rather than throwing a towel and give away to the emotions that want the best of us, why not stop right now and say this, God, with your Holy Spirit, I want to put on peace. Look what verse 15 says in Colossians chapter 3. Instead, let the peace of God rule in your heart. That word rule, ancient times, used to describe an umpire or a referee who moderated and judged athletic competition going on. That was very popular in the ancient world. There's always sports going on, okay? So Paul used this word to tell this peace of God can work like an umpire or referee in your heart, your mind, and your emotions. So when the, the damaging emotions and everything starts swelling up, swelling up, swelling up, and you start getting mad and you start ready to lose control, basically, I need an umpire, God, right now in my life, okay? Bring peace, bring peace. And God says, let the peace of God rule umpire in your hearts. And when that divine umpire called peace steps into the game of your life, it suddenly calls the shots, makes all the decisions, and the fretfulness, the anxiety, and the worry start to take a back seat and sit down. Now, even though it's true that everyone's had hard days, difficult weeks, 
You don't have to surrender those emotions. You don't have to let them disturb your relationships. You don't have to let them rob you of the joy that God wants to give in your life. He wants to give you victory. So when you feel overwhelmed by all of this, say, God, I need to put on peace right now. Rule in my heart, would you, God? Because right now, I'm frustrated, I'm depressed, I'm hurt, I'm angry. And that just bickers with yourself. Guess what happens when all that's going on inside? It usually spills out into other people around you, right? God, let peace rule my heart. Bring peace from these things and separate them. And this dominating supernatural peace does exactly that. As God's chosen, holy, beloved people, wear the right thing. As we grow, put on the right articles of spiritual clothing. Let the message about Christ and all of its richness fill your lives. Teach, counsel each other with all the wisdom He gives. Sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs to God with thankful hearts. That's how Paul sort of wraps up his wardrobe. Again, how are we doing with this? Pure tongues, patience, peace. How are you doing with those articles of clothing? Like I said, there's a whole wardrobe out there that God says put on, okay? We just picked on three. Colossians 3.16 says this. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Same Greek word used both New Testament literature and secular literature. Okay? Same word being used here. To signify somebody who takes up permanent residency in a home. Some of you rent. Many of you have gone on vacations and you've rented out a cabin or uh, gone to the hotel. And for those of you that own a home, you're like, I can't wait to get home. And some of you are like, well, this is our starter home. But there's some of you who said, this is the home that we're going to live in till the day we die. We're taking a permanent residency here. This is home. This is the word being used in this verse. Paul says to let the word of God dwell in us. Let it be a permanent residency. Let it take up residency in our heart. Give it a grand welcoming reception. Make it feel at home. Let me ask you this. So here's the deal. We find all of our spiritual clothing right in here in truth that we stand firm on. So as we're going to grow in Christ, we're going to get on our knees, we're going to pray, right? We're going to read about his word. We're going to go out to others. We're going to love with them. We're going to share uh, God's love with them as we witness to them. Um, we are then going to worship God. And part of that worshiping God, part of that praying and others is what come back to that R, which is reading God's word. So we stand on God's truth firmly and we want to grow We've got to start figuring out, what am I to wear today, God? God says, well, the only way you're going to figure this out is if this is permanent in here. If this takes up permanent residency in here, it's a lot easier to get dressed every day. So let me ask you this. We all need to ask this question. Have I given God's word the kind of reception it deserves? Or have I ignored it and give it the cold shoulder? Somebody comes to your house, you open up the door, hey, come on in and have a seat. Hey, welcome to our home. Or do they like quick step outside and shut the door and like, hey, how you doing? I really don't want you in my house right now, okay? It might be because it's a mess or something, okay? I get that. But maybe you come over to a friend's house, they make you feel at home. Oh, don't worry about spilling that grape juice on that white carpet. It happens all the time, okay? I'd like to meet that family, by the way. 
people make you feel at home? That's what we're talking about here. So have you made God's word feel at home? Does God's word feel at home in my life or does it feel unwanted? Have I rolled out the red carpet and given God's word a grand reception, making it clear that I love the word and I'm privileged to have it in my home? Or is the word of God treated like a stranger that's occasionally looked at? Be honest. Be honest. Because this is where we figure out the closet. And we open it up and we're told what to put on. And Paul does a wonderful job in Colossians telling us what to put on. There's more to read. I encourage you to do this. Open up your life. Let God's word dwell in it. And learn more about what God wants us to put on. Let the worship team come forward, please. When they're coming up, I want to share with you something that I shared with um, somebody recently. Had a sort of a one-on-one conversation with somebody uh, in my life that was going through some tough times and, and um, had a lot of conversations this summer with a lot of people, but this particular person was struggling with something had gone on in their life they were really disappointed and hurt. And I, you, you know, you get one of those conversations with somebody, you look at them, you're like, I'm not sure what to tell you anymore because you've gone through so much pain in your life over and over and over. And I don't know if I can tell you anything else to help you, encourage you this time. But praise be to God that he gives us his word. So sharing from First Corinthians, or Colossians 3, 7, where it says, let your roots go down deep into him, then you'll grow. So as I'm having this conversation, i just praying, Lord, I, I want to help. And, and I know a lot of times in our lives when we're struggling, we just want to move on to the next season of life, right? I know some uh, kids, some juniors and seniors that get seniorized, they can't wait to get out of school and get to the next part of life. But here's the deal. As much in adolescence as you want to just grow up and become an adult, that doesn't happen right away. Spiritual growth doesn't happen right away. Physical growth doesn't happen right away. <coughs> so in this conversation, we just sort of looked at, thought about this verse, and it says, here's the deal. The first time crisis comes along and God doesn't, or God doesn't seem to be near when you're facing crisis or disappointment, the first time we get tired of waiting on God, we sort of doubt God. And we ask this question, God, when's this all going to work out? When am I going to find relief? When am I going to find hope? When will all this work and all my belief and waiting and when am I going to see blessing and fruit change? I'm being faithful. I'm reading God's word. I'm praying. I'm, I'm getting on my knees and, and I'm loving others and I'm worshiping. But I see no growth, God. Well, before the harvest, part of the fruitfulness, before all that comes along, roots have to grow deep. See, the deeper the roots grow, the more nourishment they gain, more strength, more energy. I don't know if you realize this, but the bigger the tree, the deeper the roots, the more the roots. The ability to grow and fruit and provide shade and energy. The greater the ability to withstand strong storms that come along and the strong winds and, and the powerful seasons that change. You can't stand strong as a tree unless your roots have grown deep during those seasons. Shallow roots produce weak trees, little fruit. You can't rush growth, right? So as I looked into this person's life, I said, you know what's going on right now in your life? I believe God's just giving you some deep roots. 
I know you're not seeing fruit right now. I know you don't see the shade from the leaves. I know you don't feel like there's much energy there. But I believe at this time, your roots are growing deep. I wish you saw fruit right now. But maybe that's not God's plan for your growth pattern. So take confidence that as your roots grow deep in Him, the season will come when you're going to be standing taller than all the other trees. And storms will come along. And those who've had shallow roots, they're going to fall, but you will stand strong. And they will look to you for shade and you for help. So during your delayed growth, at least what you see, understand this, your roots are growing deep. Stand firm in that. Do not give up on putting on the right clothes for Christ, on standing firm and not drifting. Let your roots grow deep. Amen? Stand, please, let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you for this day you've given us. I thank you for your love. I thank you, Lord, for the opportunity to worship you in song, prayer, and word. Lord, as we do all this, Lord, we come here to worship you, but we do want to grow. We do want to grow up spiritually. And sometimes, like adolescence, it's a little messy, and it's a little long, and we just can't wait to be adults, but as Christians, it seems like we're always growing, and sometimes are harder than others. So Lord, help us to clothe ourselves with the right things, to put on those things that we see that Paul talks about, the pure tongue, the patience, the peace. God, as we're putting on this, and it seems like, well, I don't know if I'm seeing much growth, Lord. I pray, though, that through all this, your word's dwelling richly in our lives, and it's being rooted deep so that we can draw near to you, God. Help us, Lord, as we grow, not to look around at others, not to compare ourselves, not to look at the problems, but to keep our eyes on you and follow you. Lord, a lot's been said today. I pray your spirit guides us in our next step of growing with you. In my precious name we pray.